Ernest Hemingway tells a story. And I believe it's uh, the story is uh, the capital of the world. And in that story, he details an account of a Spanish father and teenage son. And in that story, their relationship over time starts to dwindle and problems arise until it gets to the point that the, the relationship is just completely shattered. And the rebellious teenage son named Paco, who's a, which is a common Spanish name, he, he, he runs away from home. At that point in the story, the father starts the long and very painful process of pursuing this rebellious teenage son, trying to find where he's at, trying to, to reconcile that relationship and, and all of it to, to no avail. And it gets to the point where just out of sheer desperation and not being able to make contact with his son and repair this relationship, that he decides to put an ad in the paper, in the Madrid paper, and and the ad simply read this. Dear Paco, please meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. As they saw that, and the next day, the, the Hemingway tells a story that the father goes to the front of the newspaper office only to find over 800 Pacos, all there looking to reconcile the relationships with their fathers. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Forgiveness is, is, is one of the most needed things. Many of you know that, that my primary role on staff is, is that of, of biblical counseling. And I will say that protecting relationships and how we interrelate in the area of forgiveness and how we influence people is the single biggest issue that comes up as we work through in counseling. It is vital for us to understand what is it that God intends? What are we to do? And why are we to do it? We're going to look this morning in Luke chapter 17. There's the first four verses there of Luke 17. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles there. If you do not have a Bible, just slip up your hand. The ushers are going to make their way around. They've got some extra Bibles you can borrow. And look at this passage there in the third of the Gospels of Luke Luke 17 here, Jesus is, is in the midst of teaching. And he's already told a number of parables. Uh, and the, the most recent one in this passage was the rich man and Lazarus. And then he starts there in chapter 17 with some teaching. And the teaching is how we are to interrelate in our relationships. I've entitled it Protecting Relationships. In verse 1 here, we see the... the The first point, and that is to avoid causing others to stumble. Point number one, avoid causing others to stumble. Verses 1 and 2, chapter 17 of Luke. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea and that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. We see here Jesus is saying, and he he uses some pretty powerful words here. He says, but woe to the one. Or saying, seriously, you don't want to be this person. Sure, temptations come and the temptation to sin, they are never, we live in a sinful world. 
We, uh, many months ago, um, Tim preached a, a series of sermons, the Fight Right series, in which we addressed the three enemies that we have, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and, and really the difference between those three, and also what Scripture says for how we are to, to relate to those, depending on where the temptation comes, whether the world, the world system that's controlled by Satan, or whether actual demonic attack, or whether it's just the plain old flesh, because we're sinners. Because we have sinned, because apart from Christ we cannot help but sin. We're slaves to sin, Scripture says. But all of these, whatever the, whatever the temptations, and, and Jesus is saying, look, temptations are going to come. We're going to have temptations, but don't let that temptation come from you. Don't you be the one. We're seeing here a high accountability for how we influence people. For how we interact and interrelate with each other. Understanding, hey, things are going to happen. But don't you be the one through which they come. You see some some uh, some words there. He says uh, a strict warning. But woe to the one. It starts off with... Uh, um, Temptations are sure to come. He says, look, but it would be better if a millstone were hung around your neck and were thrown into the sea than if you were one that caused someone to stumble. Now, a millstone, you know, that may not mean a whole lot to us. If, if you spend any time in the Middle East, you'll see uh, around, especially in, in a lot of the ruins and stuff, they have these big, large, round stones. And what they've done is they've got these big stones that are hollowed out in the middle. They look like giant donuts. And they would put them in a trough of some sort, and they would use those stones. They would stick a shaft through the hole, and they would push that stone around. And you'll see them in wine presses. Uh, wine press, they're called literally uh, Gethsemane is, is the Hebrew word for that. It's the Garden of Gethsemane, right? What is that? It's the Garden of Wine Presses. It's these big rocks that would go around and would smash the, the olives to make olive oil, but smash the grapes to, to make uh, wine. Or they would have these really large uh, millstones that they would use to, to crush grain and, 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 and the whole process there of refining the grain. And these stones were so large that this weren't something that a man would push, but this was something they would hook to a, to a donkey that would actually pull this large round stone around. That's a millstone. Now, when you get that picture of this large stone that's strung to your neck and thrown into the sea. The idea is you're going to die from the stone breaking your neck long before you're going to die from drowning. The moral of the story, you don't want it. Bad news. Nothing good is going to come out of that. Now it also says, uh, the, the next phrase is, or the one that causes one to stumble. Uh, it's interesting, we, we kind of break that up in English in several words, but it's literally one Greek word, and, and the Greek word is scoundron. And, and the idea there, scoundron, we, we get the English word scoundrel from it. It, it literally means the uh, bait stick. You know in a, in a trap, you ever seen those old traps where they have the big clamps that would, that would open up, and they had this one stick in the middle, the lever. And when an animal or something would step on that stick, all of a sudden it would, it would trigger the trap. It would set the trap. The bait stick. The one who causes one to stumble is that literally bait stick. 
And what he's saying here is, Jesus is, in his teaching is saying, look, we have, we influence each other. We, we interrelate and inter, interact with each other in such a degree. So be very careful. Be very cautious to how you're influencing the people that are around you. He says it would be better for, for this terrible death to come to you than for you to cause one of the, these little ones to stumble. Now you may read that in other passages. Jesus talked about how we are to interact with children and and not to not, not to you know to let the children come into unto me. He said and and all that. But you know from the context of this passage, it really does not give the idea that he's talking about children here, but rather just saying these little ones who are weaker than you. Ones who are weaker than you. And so the, the idea in this is just to be careful. Avoid causing others to stumble. How is it that you are inter- influencing and interacting with people? The Associated Press tells a story in, ni- in 1996 outside of Tampa. Outside of Tampa, Florida. Three uh, young men... Uh, went out and were uh, having an evening of uh, carousing and pranks. And they thought it would be a great idea to uh, go around and start stealing road signs. And they collected over 20 road signs, one of which was a stop sign at an intersection in a country road east of, of Tampa. And they had a great time that night having fun taking these road signs down. Unfortunately, in the morning, there was a... a uh, car containing three uh, 18-year-old young men who were coming from bowling, of all things, and they hit that intersection that didn't have a stop sign. And they went right through that intersection and got hit by an eight-ton truck, and it killed all three of them. A year later, in June of of 1997, uh, these young men who had taken down these signs stood in front of a judge in orange jumpsuits with handcuffs, with tears streaming down their faces as they were sentenced to 15 years in prison for manslaughter. They didn't mean for anything to happen. But the actions that they had done caused the death of three young men. That's what Jesus is really talking about here. How do we influence each other? We need to be very careful as I was thinking through the why, um, what are some reasons that, that we might be influencing people uh, to the negative? One may just be just malice. We don't like them. We're upset. We're getting back at them. We're going to talk about that in just a moment in the next few verses. Could be just that, you know, it kind of makes us feel better about ourselves, doesn't it? Sometimes when, you know, I'm kind of, yeah, I probably do and I shouldn't be doing these things myself, but I'll get, you know, other people doing it too. And then I, I sort of feel good about myself or at least can justify my actions. Sometimes it's just a, um, sometimes it's just a perverse joy. And just seeing others, uh, the calamity of others. But many times, and I'd say maybe even most of the time, um, I influence people to the negative just because I'm blinded by my own sin. I just don't see it. 
I just don't realize it. I'm so entrenched in whatever it is that I'm dealing with in my own sin and my own failures that I just don't realize how I'm influencing other people. So the first question I have this morning is, are you causing anyone to stumble? Your spouse? Your children? Courage of fathers, I, there were a few of you there. I know that last night uh, a number of us, I think about 400 or so, were at the Purity Ball uh, here offered in Peoria. And there was a great challenge to fathers of the impact that fathers can have on their daughters. But also a stern warning for the things that we allow into our homes to influence our children. Influence us. And also influence our children. Maybe it's the people that you work with. Maybe it's the people in your small group. On and on and on. We can give example of example. Is there anything in your life that is that would be causing someone else to stumble? Can you think of it? You may need to deal with that today. Leads us into the, next, the second point here we see. That is to repeatedly forgive others. Repeatedly forgive others. Continue on in verse 3. It says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, these are some pretty powerful words, aren't they? We're going to kind of work through this here, define the words, and then we're going to outline the process that we see of forgiveness. And then I'll tell you what, then we're going to answer some questions that you probably have in your mind as we work through this. But Jesus here makes it very clear how we're to interrelate and understanding that, you know what, when you put more than one person in a room together, eventually there's going to be conflict, right? I'm amazed so many times as uh, um, I, <laughs> I, I had a, a premarital counseling um, situation. We were going through some things that they were going to need to know when they got married. And, and we were talking about love and the fact that love is an, an action. It's a decision that you make and not um, not the feeling of love. And as I was trying to give an example of, of that and relate with them, and I made the statement, I said... Uh, you know, sometimes you don't even like them. And the two of them looked at me with eyes about like this, <laughs> had no idea what in the world I was talking about. And so I said, oh, just wait. <laughs> You're going to find out. Love them. you got to love them. But you may not always like them. What's the point of that? The point is this. We say, you know, conflict is inevitable. Combat's optional. We're going to have differences of opinion. We're going to have, we're going to step on each other's toes. It's going to happen. And Jesus says, pay attention. Pay close attention to this though. Be very careful what you do. And then he starts to lay out some, if a brother sins, that sin means literally, just Tim says this over and over, uh, the definition of it means to miss the mark. It means doing less than we should. And, and, and as it relates to uh, interacting with one another, when we sin, when we, when we step on each other's toes, when we offend someone in some way, when a brother offends you, he then says rebuke him. Literally it means to admonish, to charge to, uh, to mete out due measure. It, it's that confrontation. It's that addressing that sin. 
addressing that person from whom the sin comes from. And then says to repent. Repent literally means it's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. To, to think differently about is what repent means. And then he says forgive. The Greek word here is uh, a fiamai that's used in this passage. Forgive. It means to give up debt. You forgive a debt. It means um, to keep no longer, to leave behind, disregard, let go of, to leave something behind. It literally means transaction complete. So that's what Jesus is telling us. He's saying, forgive, transaction complete. But, but then he goes one step further. And what does he say? He says, and if he sins against you seven times in a day. Now, is that profound? Well, in the rabbinical law, it was three times. The law, according to the rabbis, was three times in a day you had to forgive someone. And Jesus is saying, no, he doubles it and adds one. He says, no, 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 no. Seven times, literally, another passage in Matthew 18, he says, uh, Peter says, how many times are we to forgive? Seven times. And Jesus comes back and says, no, seven times 70, or literally over and over and over. Well, here he says specifically, it's seven times even in a day. Now, I don't know about you. But I'm going to start to wonder after about the sixth time. You know what I'm saying? At some point, it's like, come on, again, really? But the response there is profound because if he comes back and says, I repent, then you, what's that word there? Must forgive him. And it's, I think it's, it's not by accident. But I think the apostles were so taken back by that expression and by what was commanded them that, that you look at verse 5, and we're not going into that, but it, it's worth noting. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Their response was, I'm going to need a whole lot more faith to do this one. And then he goes on and talks about the faith of a mustard seed. The fact that the power, the ability to do that is there. So those are the the terms. Now, what does forgiveness look like? So here you go. The process of forgiveness. I'm going to tell you, it's really simple. He lays it out in a very simple way. But it also can be very difficult. True? And so it's a four-step process that we see. And you can jot these down. Number one is the offense. Number one is the offense. There's the hurt. There, there's something has happened that has damaged the relationship. Something's come as a word that was said, an action that was done, some type of an offense that, that has taken place. Now, I think it's interesting to note that we always, you need to be careful. One of the most important things you can do when there is an offense is check the facts. Check the facts. Because so many times there are so many things that we are offended by that we've got the facts wrong and there really was no offense at all. We just made an assumption or took something the wrong way. Also, we see other places in Scripture that that over and over we're told that love covers a multitude of sins. First Peter 4.8 quotes from Proverbs that says that very thing, that love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, Proverbs 19.11 says, It is man's glory to overlook an offense. 
So here is the offense, and we see in Scripture that we are to cover sin, we're to overlook an offense, but yet Jesus is saying here that when an offense occurs, you need to go and confront them. So which is it? When am I to do something with this offense? I will give you three, three times, three reasons. How do you know when you're supposed to do something? Number one, will it hurt them? You can, you can lose that for right now. Number one, will it hurt them? Number two, will it hurt someone else? And number three, will it hurt you? Is it something you can't get over? Is there something that, that, that you, because of your weakness, because of your sin, that it will fester and create bitterness in your life? If it's something that's going to hurt that individual who, who committed the offense, and something that they really need to start dealing with that because that's really not good for them. Or maybe what they did, and man, if they do that with me and they do it with others, that it's something that would hurt someone else? Or is it just something that just because of my weakness... I just am struggling to let it go. If any of those three apply, then you need to deal with that offense. And that's number two. One is the offense. Two, then, is confront. Is confront. Rebuke that individual, it says. The confrontation. This is in love. This is humbly, graciously going to that person. Again, I said, check the facts. A lot of times, let me just, as a general rule, it's always better to ask questions than to make accusations. You make statements and people that you get defensive, don't you? You did such and such and such. Well, no, I did. Well, you don't know what's going. But if you say, "Hey, tell me about this," did did you? Did just asking that question a lot of times instead of making an accusation. But we also know the attitude in which we are going. Again, the purpose of the confrontation is not to beat them over the head. The purpose of the confrontation is reconciliation. Right? The whole process he's laying out here is a process of forgiveness, of how we handle this. And so the purpose is to go and to be reconciled with that individual. You must forgive. That's that's the step that's, that's coming. And so the purpose of you come graciously, humbly, uh, for, or, um, uh, Ephesians 4.32, but be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Be a person who is, who is ready and willing to forgive. Uh, Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. And as one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are to forgive. And so you're going and you're making the confrontation with the purpose of reconciliation. And that leads us into the third step. The third step, repent. An offense, confront, and then the individual is to repent. Now what should that look like? Here you go. Write this down. How do you go about repenting when you have offended someone, when you have hurt someone, when you are the perpetrator? How do you go and say, I'm sorry? You go and say, I am sorry for blank, whatever it is that you did. I'm sorry for saying what I said against you, honey, and I'm sorry for for doing this. I realize how that put you in a bad situation that made you look terrible in front of the kids, whatever. I'm sorry for, and then you follow up with these very important words. Will you forgive me? 
I'm sorry for doing this. Will you forgive me? Now, this is important. Why? It's because at this step here leads right into the fourth step that we see, and that is forgiveness. An offense, confront, repentance. I'm sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? And then forgiveness. Got a block of wood right here. I need a volunteer. Ah, Emily, would you come up here, please? <laughs> it's like this. I wanted a brick, but I, I got a block of wood instead. This here is the burden. Whatever has happened, I offended Emily. She comes to me. She says, you know, that really wasn't nice what you said and did, right? Which could have happened. And then I go through the process. You know what? You are so right. I am sorry for what I said to you. Will you forgive me? Now where's the burden? What's happened right there? There's been a transfer of responsibility. I did. I was confronted. I had it. Man, I was at fault. I did what was wrong. And I'm now transferring that burden. Will you forgive me? And now the burden lies with her. Will she forgive? There's many of us. Many of times we're sitting there and we've gotten this. And then we just hang on to it. Thank you. And we just hang on to this burden. We hang on to this. And then it sets in and it becomes what? Bitterness. Resentment. We see there that fourth step is to forgive. It's to forgive. You know, we sin all the time, don't we? Anybody here doesn't sin? Anybody here, if you're really honest, could say... Doesn't even or sins more than seven times a day. In thought, word, and deed, in the things that we do, and the things that we don't do that we should do, and over and over, we are all sinners. We sin repeatedly. God has given us that example of, of, of being a forgiving people. So, so what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is this. Three things to forgiveness. Number one, I will not bring up or hold against you. I will not bring this up or hold this against you any longer. That's what forgiveness means. It means no more. Transaction complete, a done deal, whatever it was, whatever the offense was, I'm not bringing it up to you again. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, well remember last year when you, and I'm also not going to hold it against you, meaning every time I see you, mm -hmm, I remember you, right? This is, this is profound. Uh, think about this in a marriage relationship. How many times, boy, we, and things from 20 years ago, for those of us that have been married for 20 years, I will not bring up or hold against you. Number two, I will not dwell on it. I will not dwell on it. Now, for me, this is a biggie. Number three is, I will not bring it up to anyone else. You know, I find that the more I dwell on it, the more I have a tendency of bringing it up to anyone else, to other people. I'm not going to hold it against you. For sure not going to bring it up to you. I'm not going to dwell on it. And I'm not going to bring it up to anybody else. Back to my block of wood. Do you see how that works? Will you forgive me? 
Yes, I forgive you. Transaction complete. A one-time, the, the, the forgiveness is a one-time act. And yet it's also a process. Because the process here is, okay, I'm forgiving this. Remember what it meant? It means to leave behind. I've sat down. I've released that. But then, as happens with me, I lay in bed at night. And something happens, and I think back to, and I start to replay the events and replay the hurt of how someone hurt me. And what am I doing? I'm picking it back up. No, no, I shouldn't be. Th- I have forgiven that. I'm setting it back down. And then something else happens. And then I bring it back up. Forgiveness means putting it down and leaving it behind. Now, Okay, the process of forgiveness. One, an offense. Two, confront. Three, repent. Four, forgive. Do we got it? Do we see how, again, I told you, simple, yet sometimes very difficult. So some of you fine students may be sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, Pastor Steve, here's my question. What do you do when they don't repent? Right? I did the first couple. Now, you need to be careful because I'll tell you what. Typically, an offense happens, and for many of us, we are very slow to confront. We just we just let it fester. We don't do the steps. Simple, but yet we don't do it. But I confronted. I addressed the situation. I addressed the person. And for whatever reason, either they denied it or they just said, forget you. I'm not going to do anything about it. Now what? Sweet, I don't have to forgive. Is that the answer? No, that's not the answer. You know, it's interesting. This passage in Luke 17 is the only passage in Scripture of all the different verses that talks about forgiveness in the Bible. It's the only one that actually has a conditional clause. And if they forgive or repent, then you must forgive. The if-then statement, that conditional statement. All the other times that we're commanded to forgive, there's not a condition and there's not the necessity of repentance. And so sometimes that can be confusing. Well, part of the confusion is this. When you look up, if you looked up in in Webster's uh, Dictionary, the word forgiveness, you would see a general meaning of of releasing and, and all of those things that we've mentioned. But what you find in the New Testament, you see there are two different words that are used for forgive. One is aphiomai and the other is charizomai. Charisma. Remember those two verses I just quoted there of, of Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has charisma forgiven you. Now, this Greek word is a little different. It means agreeable, gracious, benevolent. It means to pardon and, and to release claim. That's what a pardon is. When you release claim to, when, when the governor pardons an inmate, he releases any claim, charges are dropped. They're not bound by the conviction any longer. It literally means this, to live in a grace-based way. So we're commanded to be a forgiving people, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, to live in a grace-based way. 
But we also recognize clearly from Luke 17, the fact that while we need to be forgiving and we need to deal with it in that way, it's not until there is repentance and and reconciliation do we see that the relationship is restored. Does that make sense? We draw a lot of times. I'll draw it up this way. Now bring up the uh, the uh, diagram there. You see the line there, and and there are the four steps that we just walked through. You've got the offense. You're going through life, your offense, and, and hey, let's face it, most of the offenses that happen to us, we just, we just love covers that. And we, when you're dealing with parent and children, you're de- dealing with married couples, let's say we offend each other all the time. Can you imagine if every time any little thing that was done or said or attitude or look or whatever else, and we had to go through this whole big process, I mean, most of it, love covers that sin. It, it, it's, it's it's a blessing and the glory of a man to overlook an offense. And so we do that. But sometimes she needs to bring it up to me because I need to know it because I'm hurting other people. Or maybe it's just something that the hurt is there that need to do. So you got the offense and then you got the confront. And that's where then now we've got there and we're confronting. We're saying you have done this against and we're and the person is saying, Maybe, and that's the distance between the line between confront and the other vertical line that we see there of repent, forgive. That's the area that we find this living in a grace-based way. If you look at the next on the bottom there, I added on a couple of words. Uh, we see there forgiving and then reconciled. Meaning the distance between those two vertical lines, when we go through there, the, the distance, whether how quickly they are to repent and forgiveness to take place, is the distance between those two lines. But all the while, we are to be forgiving, willing to forgive, looking to reconcile the relationship, and literally forgiving, and we are releasing that. We are living in a grace-based way towards that individual. We're not holding it against them, but yet we are saying, obviously there's something that needs to take place to reconcile that relationship. Sometimes that may be instantaneous, and they say, you're right, please forgive me of that. And then immediately, forgiveness, or literally forgiven, transaction complete. Other times it may be a day, a week, a month, a year. And on some rare occasions, sometimes it may never take place. What do you do about that? Real quick, turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. As much as it depends on you, all that you can do, live at peace with one another. 
be a person who is forgiving, who wants to reconcile, who will do everything that they can to, to make the situation right, whether they are the offender or the offendee, as much as it depends on you, which also does give the idea that, and everything doesn't depend on you, does it? Some things we just can't help because it requires the other person. But as much as it depends on you, live at peace. And then it says, to avenge, do never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Or literally, some translation be give place to the wrath of God. The, the idea there in the Greek is saying that you're standing here in the middle of the throes of things. Giving place means stepping aside, stepping out of the way to allow God to work in the situation and with that person. He says, vengeance is mine. Basically, we don't have a right to pass judgment on that person. It's not our place. I'm not the judge. I don't know the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I don't know all the things. I don't know. I'm not going to judge that person for eternity. That's God's place. That's God's job. And so the idea here is stepping aside and let God work. And if they never come around, then that's between them and their God. And if they do, then great, I've been reconciled with my brother. So what do we do? We are to be a forgiving person, always looking to reconcile, always willing to and releasing that claim. Always looking for repentance, and then you must forgive. That leads me to another question. Well, what if... Okay, they said they're sorry. But what if they, what if they didn't mean it? Right? I mean, right, you've got little kids before and your kids come and the two of them are fighting and you're saying, okay, now, tell them you're sorry. And you get the other, sorry. And it's like, yeah, well, they meant that one, sure. Well, in this situation, what Jesus is talking about, this is a person that seven times they've come to you and said, okay, I repent, I'm sorry. And you know, that sixth time you're saying, I don't believe you. I want to see a little something else. You know what I mean? I, I just, how can I be convinced that they're sorry? And that's really this passage is saying, it's not my place. Give place to the rest. Let God deal with that. It's not my place. I don't have to judge their heart, nor am I allowed to judge their heart. So you're saying just take them at face value? Yeah. Well, I'm not. God is. Well, that doesn't seem right to me. And it at times doesn't seem right to me. And then I remember. The last question I had was, why should we be forgiving? And I remember that I offend God far more than seven times a day. And every time I go to God, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time I confess my sin, He forgives. He's already forgiven because I, I came to the place in my life that I, that I transferred my trust. I was a sinner. I, I was apart from a holy God because of my sin. There had to be payment for that sin. And ultimately, I deserved to die for my sin. But God solved that problem by sending His Son who lived a perfect life 
And he died for my sin and your sin so that we can spend eternity with him. We can have relationship with him. We can be an adopted child of his. You talk about this, this Sunday being the, the, the orphan Sunday. Oh, folks, that's us. We, we are orphans. We are adopted children if we come to Christ to saving faith. And even though I am now a believer, you know, the Apostle Paul, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I just keep doing it. How many times have you done something, you feel great remorse, you, you confess that sin, and then you turn right around and do it again? Anybody? Okay, it's just us, I guess. But Yeah. Why are we to forgive? Because we have been forgiven. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, living in a grace-based way towards other people. Why? Because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. I am forgiven if I've come to saving faith in Christ. Do you know that forgiveness? Has there come that point in your life where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if so, what this is saying is live like it. You are forgiven. The weight, the burden of sin has been lifted off of you. How can we do anything but forgive other people? If you don't understand the significance of that, then you really don't see your sin the way God sees it then you really don't understand how great a sinner you and I are. There was a European uh, merchant, businessman. And this guy had done very well for himself, lived in Europe. He was, he was English, but he, he was living in Europe, and he'd done very well for himself. And he liked the finer things of life. And one of his, his pride and joy was this Rolls-Royce coupe that he had. And man, he drove this thing for years all over Europe, and it was a fantastic automobile. It looked great. It was very prestigious. It made him look good, and, and it ran very well. Well, one day, and he had this car for many years, he was driving back a country road, and there was this huge pothole, and he hits this pothole, and it breaks the axle of the Rolls-Royce. Well, he was just devastated, and so he immediately had this car packed up, and he shipped it back to the Rolls-Royce plant in England to get it fixed. And he was very surprised. Within a week's time, they had, they had fixed the axle in this car and the turnaround and had gotten it back to him. I mean, it's just an incredible thing that he was amazed. And what even amazed him more was the fact there was no bill attached to it. And while it had had a, a very lengthy warranty, that, that warranty had, had long since expired. And so he says, well, okay, he got the car, he's driving the car again, and the bill, I'm sure, is on the way. And weeks pass and months pass. And still no bill until finally he calls up the Rolls-Royce plant and checks into this. What's the deal here? You forgot to bill me for the new axle. And there was a long pause and they went and looked and they came back and they said this. um, We have looked at our records extensively. And we have no record of a Rolls-Royce axle ever breaking. They weren't going to admit that their cars would, would fail that way. Nope, it's done. Whatever it was, we don't need, we have no record of the axle ever breaking. What is that? 
That's forgiveness. When God sees me, he has no record of that sin ever being committed. When I've confessed it and he's forgiven. Why are we to forgive? Because we've been forgiven. Now let me ask you this. Who might you need to go to and seek forgiveness? Think about that. Close your eyes right now. Think about your relationships. And and for some, I guarantee that you don't have to close your eyes. It is in the forefront of your mind and it has been this whole morning. Whom do I need to maybe go to, to confront, to address the situation, to repair, to reconcile with them? Whom do I need to go to seek forgiveness? Whom do I need to go to apologize, to say, I am sorry for what I have done. Will you please forgive me? Whatever that is. Your homework for this morning is to leave this place this morning and go do it. Reconcile that relationship. Why? Because you're so good hearted? No. You do it because you are forgiven. And if you're sitting here saying, I understand what you just went through. But I'm not one of those people that fit into that category of being forgiven. I'm like those teenage sons that are walking around the streets of Madrid just begging for forgiveness from my father. If that's you, then get that straight today. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness.